0: morning once again, and right now I have the great privilege to talk about the Scripture together with you this morning. Sometimes rather than face a very hard truth in our lives, we will avoid or refuse to look at the obvious, like the man who confessed that he loved to eat bacon sometimes eating it twice a day. He said it helped him take his mind off the terrible chest pains he was having. (laughs) You know, it's important not to avoid the obvious signs that we may have a heart problem. Several of you know, a few years ago, I started to have chest pains myself. Now, I didn't run to the bacon uh, I made a doctor's appointment, eventually, two or three months later. Okay, I might have been avoiding the obvious. You know, our physical heart is not the only thing that can have problems which we tend to avoid. The Bible uses the word heart as a metaphor for our mind our inner spiritual nature over 675 times. And our spiritual heart can be diseased as well. Today we're going to return to our study in Isaiah. If you brought your Bible, you want to take it out, take a look at it, we'll be looking at some obvious spiritual truths we may be avoiding that indicate a bad spiritual heart. Last time in Isaiah 58... We talked about the wonderful abundant life that Messiah wants each of God's people to experience. And that chapter ends in verse 14, this way. Then he says, you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And we learned in that lesson That spiritual abundance from the Lord is not found in making sure we're jumping through all the right hoops, but having the right heart. That theme continues to run through Isaiah and the scripture. Uh, God is more interested in us becoming the right kind of person than we are just doing the right things. Now, as we go through the five servant songs in the later chapters of Isaiah, They describe this mysterious person called God's servant, uh, who is sent to redeem us and make us the new people of God. Now, in between those five songs, which we are in now, God repeatedly emphasizes that we have a serious heart problem. And that is why we need Messiah's intervention. As we move on today in Isaiah chapter 59, we come back to the one problem that keeps us estranged from God, from one another, unable to enjoy the blessings in life God has designed for us, revealing once again our need for the Messiah. Let me read our passage today in Isaiah 59. I'm only going to read verses 1 to 8 if you want to follow along. Uh, as you remember, these chapters, in Isaiah is a poet, he's a lyricist, Uh, A lot of what he's saying is couched in metaphor, analogy, word pictures, so part of the issue of our study here is helping us understand that, and there are some very relevant present day applications for us once we understand what he's saying, and that's what I want to cover today. But let me read it and uh, listen to his analogies and metaphors. Uh, They'll make sense in a few minutes. So right after verse 14. You're going to ride on the heights of heaven <laughs> have this wonderful blessing from the Lord. Verse, chapter 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness. No one sues righteously, no one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed a snake breaks forth. Their webs will not become clothing. Nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and an act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. They do not know the way of peace. There is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked, Whoever treads on them does not know peace. Whoa. Um, That's a mouthful. And a lot here uh, that he's trying to explain to his people. uh, A very important thing. Uh, I don't know if you picked up and noticed it, but there's a really big disconnect from the last verse of Isaiah 58 to the first two verses of Isaiah 59. The transformation that God will bring about through our lives through the Messiah it talks about at the last portion of Isaiah 58 where we'll delight in the Lord and ride on the heights of the earth has not been realized for some reason. And the first verse of Isaiah 59 implies that, God, uh, that God's people were asking God, why? Why is that? Why hasn't the Lord brought around this wonderful transformation for us and answered our prayers? Why aren't we riding on the heights? Well, the the question they were asking uh, underneath that little verse concerns an age-old problem that people are still wondering about today. It's the problem of evil. The question their why is based on under this is this. If God is good and all-powerful, why does He continue to allow evil in the first place? Why doesn't God just step in and give us what He promised? To many people see who face the reality of evil in their lives personally, something tragic happens. They have gone through a trauma. The world is broken, and they've really got hit. They try to, the answers they give for that are troubling, of course, spiritually. Either they say God is not powerful enough to eradicate evil, his, his hand is shortened. Or God doesn't care. His ear is dull, he's, he's distant. Well, fortunately God tells us that both of those conclusions are dead wrong. He says right here, you know what? God's hand is not shortened. He is all powerful. And God's ear is open. He hears exactly what you're saying. And he does care. That's that's not the problem. The problem isn't God, you see. But that's what we think. Why isn't God straightening things out here? Then what is the problem? Well, God's answer to their false conclusions begins with the word but. I'll tell you what the problem is. <laughs> Verse 2, here's the real source of uh, the problem and why you're not riding on the heights and enjoying my blessing. Verse 2, but, you, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins of his face from you so that he does not hear. The real answer to why the problem of evil continues And why the world is broken is because we are sinners, plain and simple. Until God fundamentally changes us, there will always be evil in the world until Messiah comes again. He began to show us this in the last chapter, if you recall, where he indicates that even our righteous acts like fasting, Sabbath keeping, so on, so on, all these good things are fraught really with impure motives. Uh, selfish motives, sinful hearts that are far from God. In other words, uh, the passage starts by saying, our own sin is the world's biggest problem. Uh, The uh, verse 2 tells us that sin is a great separator. Separates us from the presence of God, separates us from his blessing and from each other. Second, sin is a universal problem. Verse 4, no one sues righteously. No one pleads honestly. Sin is our last and greatest enemy, resulting in our death physically and spiritually, and again, pointing to our need for this servant who is the Messiah. We cannot save ourselves. Now, if we doubt that sin is our basic problem in all of this, that that's where the core lies, God asks his people here, and I think by extension asks us in verses in fifty-nine, three, and verse 7, to look at all the ways, just take a look at all the ways sin is visible or shows up in our lives. Verses 3, let me read verse 3 and 7. Just listen for it. He says, listen, Your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness, and your feet run to evil. They were sinning with their hands, they were sinning with their lips, they were sinning with their feet. In fact, the Apostle Paul quotes this verse in Romans 3.15 to argue that we are all sinners falling desperately short from the glory God intends. Well, all that's very interesting, explains uh, their question they were having underneath that first verse. But you see, God wants to take us further. The, The problem of sin goes so much deeper than the words we say or the behavior and actions we choose. So much deeper. You see, sin, like a cancer, or the hidden deadly infection of the coronavirus, sin is a hidden cancer and spiritual vi- virus that is absolutely devastating in its effects, and infinitely worse than cancer or a virus. Infinitely worse in the devastation it produces. That's what God wants to tell us here. Sin originates, and this is where I think could be most helpful to us. (laughs) Again, he's he's not so much interested in, oh, please do all the right things, jump through these hoops, and you'll be good people. No, 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 no. Take a look at what's here and become the right kind of person that will naturally do the right things That's where he's going. That's where he started in 58. He's just continuing the thought. Sin originates deep inside us. It doesn't originate in the actions we do, the words we speak. That's not where it starts. It starts right in here. Listen, I'll I'll take you through this. Sin originates in our thoughts and intentions of the heart and mind. Isaiah 59, listen to verses 3 and 4. Listen for it. Your lips, here's what's coming out, spoken falsehood, your tongue mutters wickedness. Uh, No one sues righteously, no one on other. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. And then verses 7 and 13, their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. 13, conceiving in and uttering from the heart lying words. He just told us, Uh, If you focus on just trying to be a good person from the outside, you're going to miss the whole thing. Absolutely miss it. Until God fundamentally changes us from the inside out, nothing's going to change. We'll still be broken. We'll still break other people and wreak havoc and devastation, which we'll get to in a minute. Everything, and Jesus even confirmed this. I won't go there, but... (laughs) telling the Pharisees, look, you guys are so good at keeping all these things, but don't you understand it's not what uh, externally, it's what's inside that defiles you. Everything coming out of our mouths and our behaviors begins right here. Our heart, our desires, our thoughts. What are we telling ourselves? What are we thinking? That's the core really, of what we're really trusting in. And boy, does that come out. Whew. Now listen to, ver- here's what's, what he's saying in verses 3 and 4. Let me explain this a minute. When he says, verse 3 and 4, muttering wickedness, conceiving mischief, and trusting in confusion, what he's talking is basically self-talk. You're muttering to yourself. Something's true. This is your view of reality, and it's a lie. And if you accept that, trust it, out's going to come all kinds of actions and words that are absolutely going to devastate in their paths. Verse 7 Thinking iniquity produces actions of iniquity. You see, it all starts inside. Verse 13 Conceiving, uttering lies from the heart. There you're going to have it. So unless we trace these obvious symptoms in our life, oh man, that really blew that. Where's that coming from? Why am I th- what am I thinking? What am I conceiving of reality that's coming out like that? These verses show, and what God is trying to say is, if you're looking at your external behavior, you're looking in the wrong place. Those are symptoms. What you need to do is go much deeper. Listen to yourself. The sins originate in our mind and heart from our thoughts and desires. There are things that we really believe are true and tell ourself. That's it. Our thoughts and desires. Here's the next part of this. Once we... Once we get in those trains we're muttering to ourselves oh this person's terrible oh this my life is a disaster oh oh that narrative of reality you see what happens is he's going to say what they start to do it comes out in our behavior and they form tracks and paths we follow from there and those tracks and paths lead to devastation Chapter 59, 7 and 8. Their feet run to evil. There's the action started in the heart. They hasten, <laughs> shed in it blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. This is the road they're following, the path they're going on. They do not know the way of peace. It's a path we follow. There is no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. Whoever treads on them does not know peace. Wrong path. <laughs> okay. These first mentions that the, the once our self-talk, the things we believe, really believe in our heart and mind start to affect us, our narrative of life, not God's, ours, once they start to enter our actions, now we've got highways, ways, tracks, crooked paths and then once they've started it's very difficult to change course not impossible we'll get to that in a minute once you've established a habit and a pattern based on what you are taking as (laughs) telling yourself about reality it's devastating which is what we're going to look at next the thoughts and attentions of the heart become the narrative of life that we believe we buy it we accept it because of that that's how we're going to act and when we start acting we make a path and at the end of that path is devastation if it's based on a sinful conception of reality. Something not, in other words, something not God's. (laughs) Following sinful paths leads to devastating results, and that's what Isaiah chapter fifty-nine talks about next. When we trust the false narrative of reality, one that God is not the author of, it's us, the path leads to sin, and the results of sin is always... Scripture tells us, shouts at us. sins always ends in devastation. Here's, here's how he describes it. Here's where we get into some analogies. So and reason, one reason I think he uses these analogies <clears throat> that are pretty vivid in some ways, is to get this truth from our intellectual ascent to our heart. Don't you feel it? This is how awful it is. Word picture take a look at this. That's what you're doing. This is what's happening. (laughs) So first, verse 4, sin is socially devastating. That's where that path leads. Socially devastating. No one sues righteously. In other words, uh, can solve a problem with another righteously. No one pleads honestly. They trust in confusion and speak lies. They concede mischief and bring forth iniquity. Well, there 's a lack of honesty, integrity and truth. Uh, what 's interesting to me,'t uh, you can look at it verses four to eight. Socially devastating. He's describing a situation where people are constantly at odds with one another. Because what he does is he, nine times in verse 40, they, 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 see? It's they. Departing from we, us, or mine, it's they. Socially devastating. Nobody's telling the truth. We're walking around at odds. <clears throat> and the next two descriptions, that's the first one sin is always socially devastating. Second, in verse five sin is personally devastating. It always is. And I love this word picture. Um, once I got into this, I'm thinking, wow, this is like, I get it. This is awful. And it's personal devastation. Listen to what he says. Um, Verse 5, they hatch adder's eggs, uh, spiders' webs. And he who eats of their eggs dies. And from that which is crushed, a snake breaks forth. Oh, isn't that great? Beautiful picture. Adder's eggs, a poisonous snake, which everybody reading this would have been well familiar with. You stay away from adder's. Snakes. Oh, does that bring any bells? Serpent. Oh, yeah. Nice word picture to connect me to. A serpent, you see. Uh, they hatch edders, then they eat it. They eat the eggs. <laughs> and what he's trying to say, I think, is sin is like eating poison. You are getting poison. Serpents' eggs, you see, they look good. They look like Good eggs, protein, good, healthy, just like Eve saw the fruit. Hey, that looks pretty good. Oh, really? Brings forth death. We're deceived. Think that's going to cause any good. Now, what I really like about this passage, this analogy, this metaphor, is (laughs) not only the poison picture, but I want, you to, I want to call your attention to this word we've seen before. And we'll see it again. It's the word crushed. Ring any bells? It's, and it's the word serpent, snake. The word crushed, you see, is a biblical, right here. The way Isaiah is using it is masterful. The word crushed is a biblical allusion turned upside down. He turns it upside down. That's what sin will do. You see, it's a biblical illusion of the serpent and the servant turned upside down. Both are crushed. Genesis 3.15, the serpent's head is crushed by this, the servant. Victory over sin, eventually through the Messiah. That's the, that picture in Genesis 3.15. Then in Isaiah 53.5, the servant is crushed for our iniquities. But here, Isaiah 59.5, sin crushes us and gives birth To the devastating fruit of the serpent, a snake comes forth, snake breaks forth, which the servant came to destroy. This is a powerful metaphor, I'm telling you. Meant to grab our attention and think about it a lot. The personal devastation of sin, see? We're poisoning ourselves. And it begins with what we're thinking, what we're desiring, which go on to produce words and action, listen to me, that do not come from the servant, but from the serpent. It's devastating. Socially devastating, personally devastating. Third, sin's devastation continues with I think what he's describing here is a pervasive disappointment in our life. Verse six, their webs be (laughs) their webs. He's talked about spiders before. He goes on after he talks about the serpent. Their webs, these webs they've been weaving, will not become clothing. Nor will they cover themselves with their works. Just, in other words, justifying themselves. Yeah, I'm not really a bad person, but, you know, take a look at the goods. Their works are works of iniquity. Why? Because they originate in here. Which Jesus confirmed in, in Matthew. And an act of violence is in their hands. Starting with violence in here. You see, what he's saying here in this metaphor is spiders' webs are not suitable for clothing. (laughs) You're clothing yourselves with webs? Are you kidding me? It's all going to break apart. Devastating. The works will break apart. They're not stable. They can't hold it. Socially devastating, personally devastating, pervasive disappointment, keep trying, and it breaks apart. Fourth, we see in verse 7 that because of sin, which is a lack of moral restraint, it will lead to more and more devastation and destruction. Their feet run to evil. They hasten to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Devastation and destruction are in their highways. Finally, in verse 8, we see this is an important point to note. Devastating results of sin end and produce a deep personal angst. Angst, which translates into no peace. You just can't be at peace. Verse 8, they do not know the way of peace. There's no justice in their tracks. They have made their paths crooked. And Whoever treads on them, you go ahead and follow that. But at the end, there's no peace there. Angst, you see, is, is basically a chronic anxiety. An unsettledness about life. The feeling something's wrong, something's missing. And just trying to figure it out is a real issue. Why? Because the way we're conceiving things and telling ourselves, it's a false narrative, I think. Sin negatively affects us psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, causing some people really at some point to long to die. The pathway to sin always leads to death eventually. But here's the deal. I stopped at verse 8. But uh, the text changes in verse 9. Hallelujah. There's another option than to simply sin and endure it, endure the devastation. Well, that's the the option, is what we're going to see next in Isaiah 59, which we'll take up next time. I do hate to leave us here, but there's just too much to cover. When something is wrong with us physically, there are usually symptoms to alert us. We should not ignore chest pains, chronic cough, bleeding, fainting. Well, we can choose to ignore the symptoms, press through, or we can submit to further testing. Maybe there's a deeper cause. Maybe I need to stop doing things that are contributing to the problem. That's the message of this first part, I think. Same is true spiritually. When something isn't right in our life spiritually, God's trying to say, you're asking me all these questions. I'll tell you where the real problem is, he says. Take a look here. (laughs) If something isn't right spiritually, there will usually be symptoms. God seems distant really don't desire to be in the scripture much. It's kind of on the side. Uh, There could be fear and anxiety, a real lack of peace, a real unsettledness, a real angst in life that just chronically continues. A rage or a bitterness. It could be a whole host of things that really aren't giving us peace or joy or love. They're making us very unsettled and uncomfortable. Well, don't ignore it. <laughs> In essence, we look around. If we, can look, we look around, we see evidence of the life of the serpent's effects and not the fruit of the servant. Something's wrong. And at that point, we can choose to ignore the symptoms and press through, or we can submit to further scrutiny by God's Holy Spirit and His Word to determine if we are muttering to ourselves a narrative contrary to God's reality and God's word. Or if we are conceiving in our hearts iniquity and lies from the serpent causing huge devastation, of devastation. So the question we could leave with, do I see any devastation? <laughs> if we do... We need to repent. We need to speak God's narrative to ourselves. We need to walk in paths derived from his words. I love, I pray this psalm frequently. Psalm 139, 23, and 24, I would would, uh, share it today. Maybe this week we can see the symptoms, maybe, okay, Lord, check me out. I'm going to to my spiritual doctor. Do a heart check. Psalm 139, 23, 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See. Lord, see if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I commend it to you. Isaiah 59 was given to us, I believe, this part, to show us three basic truths. Three basic important truths. First, sin in our heart, in our life, is as unhealthy to our spiritual heart as drinking a gallon of bacon fat is to our physical heart. More so Second, sin's behaviors originate not in the behavior, the action, or the word. It originates in our thoughts, our thought patterns, our hearts, our desires, what we're conceiving, what we're telling ourselves. Third, we cannot save ourselves. Try as you must to be a better person without the Lord's intervention, without his spirit. Transforming us from the inside out gonna be a futile, futile effort. But as you know, I've said it a lot, but God has provided his servant, the Messiah, to deliver us from the devastating consequences of sin, Jesus. And all God asks us to do, he's taken care of the problem himself. We can't do it. All he asks us to do is receive the gift of eternal life, believing in his in Jesus His Son, and then be led by His Spirit in paths of righteousness, based on His thoughts, not ours. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you for the pictures you've given us today to really arrest our attention. Uh, first of all, and then uh, to show us our need to uh, go go further in our walk with you than just the actions that are coming or words that are coming out, we need to look at what is going on inside us. Uh, what are we thinking about? What are we desiring? Really, what is our true hope? What is our ultimate aim in life? The direction we're going, the path we're on. You, in this chapter, you've caused us prompt us to examine that. And Lord, I pray if any of us here see any uh, evidence of devastation, any evidence of maybe there's these symptoms, I don't know where they're originating, we, would you help us find what that is and discern the thoughts and intentions of our heart uh, so that we could, at the other end, be on a path of righteousness that ends in peace, not angst. Would you give us the grace, Lord? We need your help in this as a church body, as individuals who are part of the family of God. We ask, we cry out for help. Um, we need Jesus and your spirit to transform us from the inside out and then lead us in the way we should go. I pray all this for us now today in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.